Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 10. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for who you are. Um, you, you, have, uh, you have given us your word. Um, we can trust it. We can, we can learn about you in it. Um, we can um, we can put our total hope and faith in Christ. Uh, we, can, we can trust I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I want to ramble. I love you. Uh, I ask that Pastor Harold would um, be blessed, uh, that his study, his diligent work would be a blessing to the rest of us, and that you would be glorified in everything. Amen. It is indeed a privilege to be here together and for me to share the word of the Lord this morning. One of the things that I am keenly aware of is that after all of these years, having started to preach at the age of 18, it's relatively easy to put a sermon together. But the question is, what is it that God wants to speak to our hearts? What is it that he wants to do? I think it's interesting that there has been somewhat of a continuity of a theme that we have heard 
over the last couple of weeks, both in the adult class and things in the congregation, that God is speaking to us something about going through the hard times, going through the hard places, and not coming out with a martyr's complex. I'd ask you to keep your finger here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because while we're going to look in Deuteronomy 8, Paul makes a powerful application for us in chapter 10 as to why the Old Testament passage is so important to us. Now, as we've been walking with some of our young men who are uh, testing their calling to ministry, one of the things that we have said to them is look for words that are repeated. I want you to look for words that are repeated. Now, I'll read from the New American Standard, so I always tell people somewhat facetiously, if you have a different translation, you'll understand why. If you have a New American Standard and it sounds different, it's because I can't read. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers all were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And it goes on in this passage for Paul explaining why the children of Israel lost the blessing of God in the wilderness. I share this because I want us to understand that what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness is an example for us. All of us go through tough times. But let's be very honest. For most of us living in northeast Indiana, what we call tough times is nothing compared to what most of the world is going through. I remember one of my first trips to Indonesia. I was taken out to a camp, to a school, and I taught a bunch of young people. You know what their prayer was every day? God, will I eat today? Some of you are thinking, what am I going to eat for lunch? Many of our brothers and sisters are questioning, will I even eat today? And you think of the suffering and the hardship that Christians around the world are facing. None of us are facing martyrdom for our faith. Even though North America... The United States of America is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel and to the people of faith. That being said, all of us go through hard times. We understand that bad things happen to good people. It's a part of life. And wilderness is a part of the spiritual journey. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard people say, I'm going through a spiritual wilderness, pray for me. 
I understand the terminology, but understand this. God always has a plan. He always has a purpose. Nothing that ever comes into our lives ever takes him by surprise. And his desire in all of that is to draw us closer to him, to deepen our relationship with him. And as we'll see a little bit later from the book of Romans, that he wants us to be the he wants to conform us to the image of Christ, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. His heart is to grow us in all things so that we become the people of God that he's called us to be. And his pattern to do that is to lead us into situations that are beyond our ability and that reveal our hearts to us. Earlier this spring, I was in South Dakota over a weekend, and uh, I carry a, this pocket knife with me that was given to me by Ken Cornell. Ken's the most decorated Vietnam War veteran from South Dakota. In fact, a national day, uh, 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 not a national day, but a day was uh, proclaimed uh, in his honor. Uh, it's got a tremendous ministry to veterans who are dealing with PTSD and a number of other things. And on my knife blade, it says this, God doesn't waste pain. When God allows pain and suffering to come into our lives, it's not because he's trying to punish us. He's not trying to destroy us or simply make us miserable. God wants to show us his heart and ours. I believe there's a sense in which he wants to show us the pain that he feels for the lost and dying world and to cause us to call out to him for more grace in our lives. Now, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, let me just give us a little bit of the spiritual background of what's going on here. The children of Israel are nearing the end of 40, days, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. I think it's interesting that in the 38th year, God says to the children of Israel, prepare that you may possess. God was trying to encourage them to prepare their heart so that they could possess the promised land. Now, so often we think that the wilderness was a terrible place. May I suggest to us that the wilderness was not all that terrible? Because in the wilderness, God's miraculous provision was a daily occurrence. Think of this. Their clothes didn't wear out. Sorry, ladies, couldn't go shopping. Besides, in the wilderness, there were no malls. Your, their feet didn't swell. Oh, the older I get, the more I appreciate that statement. <clears throat> and all those over 70 say amen. Uh, God supplied them with manna every day. Kids, what does manna mean? What is it? We know it as bread from heaven, but the literal word was, what is it? Ladies, can you imagine your kids coming in? Mom, what's for supper? I don't know. Whatever. What is it? For 40 years, they didn't know what they were eating. That's a subject for another day. They drank water from the solid rock. 
Now we know from what Paul says in the analogies that the manna bread from heaven, the water out of the solid rock, we know Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus says this in John 6, 35, verse 48, and verse 51, I am the bread of life. In verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. We know that he is the solid rock. He is the source, the, the wells, the waters of salvation. And we know that he is the living word. So when Moses says to the children of Israel, man does not live by bread alone, we know that the living bread is Jesus Christ. Now, we also understand that Deuteronomy is a series of four sermons that Moses gives to the children of Israel before he's about to die. And Moses is reminding the children of Israel of God's faithfulness, faithfulness in bringing them out of the land of Egypt, his provision for them in the wilderness. I think it's amazing. Apart from disobedience, they did not know sickness in the wilderness. And now God's faithfulness is going to bring them into the promised land. Years ago, Janice and I were privileged to sit under the ministry uh, every once in a while of a man by the name of Bob Mumford. And Bob Mumford would talk about the law of the four Ps. I had to think about this because a couple of weeks ago, while we were gone, our eldest son, said that his father would be proud because, because he had three words that all began with C. I took a picture <laughs> and I sent it to him. Well, on a serious nature, Bob Mumford talks about the, the law of the four Ps. There's the promise in Egypt, in the midst of bondage, God gives a promise. And we don't want to take imagery too far, but in a limited sense, I think we can safely say that Egypt represents a type of the world and the world system that would hold the people of God in bondage. And in the midst of that bondage, there is hopelessness, but the promise of God brings hope to our hearts. And you think about the children of Israel who had been slaves for 400 years, they were hopeless, and yet God gives a promise. In the wilderness, they experience problems which build spiritual strength into them because they have an opportunity to exercise and stand upon the principles of God which builds faith and boldness which is going to be important when they enter the promised land because once they enter the promised land, that's where the real battle begins. And there are giants in the land. As God brings us into what our inheritance is for the children of Israel, it was a land. I believe for us today it's souls for the kingdom and there's spiritual warfare going on. We need to be built up to be able to be bold, to walk in faith and obedience. And then in the promised land, there is provision. Whereas Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8, we become more than conquerors in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. I love words. I love the word provision. It's a compound word for the vision. God's supply in our lives, God's supply for us as a church is in direct proportion to the vision 
that he has for us. Now, let's talk about God's purposes. Because discovering the purposes of God in the wilderness are so important for us. They're important as we're walking through those difficult places in our lives. What was God doing? And Moses was reminding them, the children of Israel, in preparation of entering into the promise. What was God doing? Well, first of all, God had gotten them out of Egypt. Now he wants to get Egypt out of them. Do you remember? Kids, do you remember where the first place where the children of Israel went after they, they crossed the Red Sea? Anybody remember? It was a place called Mara. What was the problem at Mara? The water was bitter. In study and research, I've discovered that they believed that the, the reason the water was bitter was because it was filled with calcium and magnesium. Can you imagine what that would have done? Had they drinking, drinking, drunken? I was an English major in college, and I write and get paid to write some things. What would imagine? Imagine what would happen if they drank a lot of water filled with calcium and magnesium. Diarrhea. <laughs> now what we forget about that passage in Exodus 15 verses 22 through 26 is that God speaks to them and says, I will put none of the diseases of Egypt on you. I am the Lord God. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your healer. As I said earlier, they'd spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. They had a slave mentality. But you see, God wanted to build within them the mentality of a conqueror. And the only way that they would be able to take possession of their inheritance is if they let go of the slave mentality. Do you realize that a slave can only rebel it takes a conqueror to take possession of a land and to establish a nation. And there is a sense in which spiritually the same is true for us in what God is working in us. As Paul says in Romans 8.37, in all things. Did you notice that word all in 1 Corinthians that we read? All passed through the clouds, all ate the same spiritual food, all, all, all. In all things, Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. God uses the lessons of the wilderness to build something in us. Kids, how many of you are back in school? Awesome. So when your teacher or your mom, if you're a homeschooled kid, teaches you things, and then what do they do next? What do they give you? A test. How many of you like tests, kids? I just, Micah put his hand up. I love taking tests. I will tell you what, I hated taking tests. You know why? Because I knew I was going to fail. Here's a fill-in-the-blank for us. Tests are not designed for failure 
Rather, tests give us an opportunity to exercise and measure what we have learned. How many of us, when we're going through a time of spiritual testing, say, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. This is my opportunity to stand on the truth of your word, Lord. No, let's be honest. Most of us walk around like spiritually whipped pups. I remember something that the late Dr. Paul Pano said to a group of us young pastors. He said, I went through a time where for two years I didn't feel the presence of the Lord. Now we sang this song this morning that says, we walk by faith and not by sight. What is sight? It's one of our senses. The sad reality, most of us are as spiritual as we feel at the moment. Come on, be honest. We live our lives based on our spiritual senses. And if I'm feeling spiritual, well, glory to God. Amen. Come on, devil, I'm ready. If we're not, we're just kind of backing away. Remember what Paul Pano said. He said, for two years, I did not sense and feel the presence of God. And going to, into the pulpit on Sunday morning was horrible. He said, it got to the point where in my office, and I don't recommend that you do this. I'm going to do it for illustrative purposes. He said, I laid my Bible on the floor, and I would stand on it. Kids, don't go walking on your Bible. But he said, I said, God, I don't feel your presence, but I know your word is true. And I'm going to stand on your word. After that two-year period, not based on emotions, but based on faithfulness, they saw incredible blessing that came because of walking in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Not by how we feel, but by what we know is true. And I'm absolutely convinced that we need to settle these things in our hearts now when things are going good or relatively good. Because when things start going sideways and our world starts falling apart, we don't have time to get it. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman says that in that moment, you don't rise to the level of, expert, uh, of expectation. You fall to the level of your training. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart now that I might not sin against thee. Now that's a liberal paraphrase of the Gingrich translation, but do you get the point? Go back with me to Deuteronomy. Let's look at several of these verses. There are powerful things here. What's God's purpose? Verse 1, he says through Moses, that you may live. Not just survive, but live. You know, I've made a joke over the years. It's better to wear out than rust out and sit around and rust out. I've made a joke. I'm going to live till I die. I'm not going to face life passively. 
God says, I want you to live. I want you to multiply. I want you to go in and possess the land that I have for you. And I look at that and I remind us again, we need to settle it in our heart that no matter what comes into our lives, it's not a surprise to God. Everything God brings into our lives is for our good and his glory, and we don't always see it at the moment. We may not see it in our lifetime, but we have to settle it in our hearts that that's what God is doing. Look at verse 5. I love this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Thus you shall know in your heart that the Lord your God is disciplining you just like a man disciplines who? His son. I don't discipline other people's kids. Neither should you. It doesn't mean sometimes you don't have to control their behavior, but you don't discipline them. Okay, moving right along. You see, when God brings correction and discipline into my life, glory to his name, it means I'm his. God doesn't discipline other people's kids. So if you're feeling the discipline of God, if you're going through these things, hey, you may not feel like shouting glory, hallelujah, just remind yourself, this just proves I'm one of God's kids. What God's trying to do in my life is make me just like Jesus. And he uses hardship. And he uses people who rub me the wrong way to do it. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. For we know. It's important to understand that in the Greek I'm told that word, that phrase, for we know, means that we know by experience. Not because somebody told us, but we know experientially that God causes all things to work together for what? Good. To those that love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 goes on to say, For whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, the Lord Jesus, might become the firstborn among many brethren. See, God will use these hard places, these times of spiritual dryness, these times when we feel so isolated out in the wilderness to get the slave mentality of Egypt and the world out of us and the value system of Egypt and the world out of us and to teach us to stand on the principles of the truth of his word so that we can be more than conquerors. Brothers and sisters, when we're going through the hard places, we are not victims with a martyr's mentality. We understand we're the people of God and he's working an eternal weight of glory in us for our good and his glory. I have to remind myself of that when things seem to be going sideways in my life. If we wallow in self-pity, which is so easy for us to do, we'll miss 
those valuable lessons that God's trying to teach us and we'll never grow into the people of God that he wants us to be. I love the story. I don't know if it's true or not. The man got up on Sunday morning, said to his wife, I'm not going to church this morning. She said, you have to go. I said, I'm not going. Nobody likes me. You have to go. Yeah, but I'm not going. Nobody listens to it and cares what I have to say. She said, you have to go. You're the pastor. I don't think I ever said that, did I, dear? Oh, she had to think for a minute. That's a little scary. Now look at verse 2. How is God accomplishing all of this? The Lord your God led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. I would say to most of us that we have a wrong understanding, a wrong definition of humility. We define humility as being put down. Well, they got humbled. They got put in their place. How many of us have heard that? And we think of, of, you know, humility, boy, we're bringing them down a peg or two. I would suggest to us that the real definition of humility is dependency. God brings us by his mercy, by his grace, into a place of need that we cannot supply in our own strength so that we are lovingly forced to depend on him and not ourselves. You see, when I come to the point that God is my source, he is my provision, yes, I have to be faithful and walk in what he tells me to do, but when I come to that point of walking in dependency upon him in humility, brothers and sisters, that is the most secure place in the universe. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread. Do you realize if God doesn't bless us with strength and health, we can't go to work? If he doesn't bless us with a job, we don't get paid and we can't pay our bills. When we come to to the point of understanding that God is our eternal source for every area of our life. There is something incredibly freeing that comes in that. So that I walk humbly before him in gratitude. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me, for disciplining me as your son. Because you discipline me, I know that I am your son. Because you don't discipline other people's kids. And you provide to test you, problems, giving us an opportunity to exercise the principle of God's word and to walk in his ways. Now here's one. To know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now let me ask you this. 
if God has to get me out into the wilderness, into that place of spiritual testing, so that he can find out what's in my heart, what does that say about him? That would say he's not all-knowing. Are you tracking with me? And if he's not all-knowing, then he's not God. But he is all-knowing. Amen? That was good. This side did good. This side, we're working on it. He is all-knowing. So who needs to discover what's in my heart? I do. You do. I think it's interesting. Remember what Simon Peter says to Jesus? He's absolutely convinced in his heart with what he says. He said, Lord, I'll follow you to your death. Luke 22, verse 33. Lord, with you, I'm ready both to go to prison and to die. Do you realize John 19, verses 10 and 12 through 12, do you realize that Simon Peter is the only person, the only disciple in the Garden of Gethsemane with a sword? Now I have to restrain myself because I've got this crazy sense of humor. And when Peter says, I'm willing to die with you, Lord, and defend you to the death, he's serious. He doesn't know that it's in his heart to deny the Lord. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, John chapter 19, when they come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Whips out the sword, (laughs) aims for the guy's head. All he gets is an ear. Now, I've got this crazy sense of humor. I don't know if it's really true. But I am told there is a sense of a a hint of humor when Jesus said, put that thing away. And then he picks up the ear of Malchus, the servant, and heals it. Peter does not know it's in his heart to deny the Lord. And yet Luke 22, verses 54 through 62 Three times he denies the Lord around a charcoal fire. Three times. Once before a slave girl who had absolutely no rights whatsoever. Once he uses profanity and says, I never knew the man. Three times. And then the rooster crows, and Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter looks at Jesus, remembering what Jesus said, that three times before the cock crows, you will deny me. And Peter goes in brokenness. Do you realize that Peter did something that Judas never did? Judas betrayed the Lord, but he never denied him. Now, what I think is all equally glorious is that later, Peter and the disciples decide to go and fishing. He said, we're going fishing. And God never rebuked them for that. But when morning dawns, they see Jesus on the shore. He's prepared a fire with bread and fish. My brain wonders, did Jesus just go to the bank 
of the, uh, the edge of the water and just motion like this and fish swam over for him to pick up? Did he pick up a rock? Turn it into bread? I don't know. But the point is, three times as a char around a charcoal fire, Peter has an opportunity to get it right. And Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? There's so many times we feel like we fail the, the lessons, the tests of the wilderness so miserably. And it's easy to fall into guilt and self-pity. I'm a failure. I'll never get it right. As if it's all about us. And we forget that he's trying to work an eternal weight of glory within us. Notice I'm using the pronoun us. Because I'm including myself in these things. But if we'll be like Peter, who repents in brokenness, God's faithful, he'll cleanse our heart, he'll heal us, and he will give us an opportunity to get it right so that we can move into our divine inheritance. I made a note to myself just this morning as I was going through these notes before we came. God's gift to us. The frustrations and the problems we encounter in life are God's way of teaching me to depend on him. They're God showing me what's really in my heart so that I can repent and I can find healing in wholeness. And they're giving me an opportunity to stand on the principles of God's word. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, I want to show you something here and we're almost done. I have been intrigued by this passage of scripture because Jesus goes through the wilderness and it's near the end of his 40 days in the wilderness without having had anything to drink or anything to eat that the enemy comes to test him and to tempt him. Look at how Luke chapter 4 begins. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, remember he's just been baptized in water, and the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and God says, this is my, my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that's the river, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Some translations say he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And we know that the enemy comes. He says, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. And in reality, after 40 days of not eating, starvation was beginning to set in. The point is, and this is a sermon for another day, that the devil was saying, do it to satisfy your own needs. Do it at my command. Takes him up on the pinnacle of the temple. I have seen that, that corner of the wall in the temple area. Stands him up on the pinnacle of the temple. He said, I'll give you everything. Just fall down and worship. 
Again and again, Jesus, uh, Jesus quotes scripture to him. And you know the end. Look at verse 14. After the temptation is over, and it went, well, look at verse 13. That's important too because you just don't go through a wilderness and then everything is great for the rest of your life. When the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until, what does it say there? What does your translation say? A more opportune time. One of the things that we have said in the church over the years, and I'm speaking not just to this congregation, but as preachers in general, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Give your heart to Jesus and all your problems will be over. I want you to know, I didn't know what problems were until I gave my heart to Jesus. But neither did I know what victory was either. But now I know victory. So just because you go through something and God brings you through doesn't mean you won't go through it again. Here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power, in the dunamis, the Greek word there, is that inherent power of a dynamo, that explosive power of the Holy Spirit. You see how chapter one, uh, 4 began in verse 1? He was led, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, but when he came out, he came out in the power of the Spirit. I would suggest to us, brothers and sisters, that when we walk in faith and faithfulness, we learn to depend on God. We learn that he is our source. He brings us through. And as we come out, there is a strength. There is an internal working of his word, of his spirit, of the wells of salvation, that we walk in a new dimension of faith and faithfulness because of the power of the word and the power of the spirit that is at work within us. But if all I do is feel sorry for myself, I miss this eternal weight of glory that God is trying to work within me. Worship team, come and join me if you will. I want to encourage you later today in this week to do a couple of things. Either individually or as a family. Go back. Read through Deuteronomy chapter 8, these first 10 verses again. Moms and dads, sit down with your kids. Talk with them about hard times in your life. Grandpas and grandmas, talk with your grandkids about the hard times in your life. When you felt like you were in a spiritual wilderness, and then talk about the things God taught you during those times. Even as I share that, I think of some hard things that Janice and I went through. I remember times we, we literally laid our bills on the floor 
and we knelt on the floor. And you remember those times, honey? And we laid our hands on those bills and said, God, these are our bills. For better or worse, right or wrong, we may have been foolish in our spending, but these are our bills. And if you don't bless us, if you don't provide for us, we can't pay our bills. There's never been a bill that went unpaid because God's so faithful. I look back at those times. I don't know how often you think about them, but I think about it a lot. So we knelt on the floor. Lessons that God taught us to depend on him. I remember those time on, and, and forgive me for rambling a little bit, but I think this is important. I, I remember that time we were still in itinerant ministry on the road, and we were in this motorhome, and, and we had to make a payment on this and didn't have any money. I don't know where it was coming from. We were praying about it. We were in Oregon. God, how are we going to pay this bill? We didn't even have the money to pay the interest on this 90-day loan that the bank gave us. After a service, a man came up to us and said, uh, I need to come talk with you. Next day, he came to where we were staying and told us his story about what God had done, how God had blessed him in something. He said, God, if you'll do this, I'll give you $5,000. And God did. And he said, God, where do I give it? He said, give it to Harold and Janice. He said to me, how much do you owe on your motorhome? I go, $5,000. And God paid off that motorhome. And we didn't even have the money to pay the interest. You see, it's in these hard times that God works in us an eternal weight of glory. And moms, dads, grandpas, and grandmas, how often have you sat down with your kids and your grandkids and talked about those hard times where you saw God working in grace? If you've been wallowing in self-pity, and I've been guilty of that, I could tell you stories when I was lamenting over People like Sonny and Cher and Janice and I could sing it just as good as Sonny and Cher and she didn't have to take off her clothes to make people appreciate her beauty. And God rebuked me in Psalm 37. And I repented of that. Ask God for greater grace. And then ask God to work this work and getting rid of this slave mentality and the values of the world out of you and make you more than a conqueror. Would you stand together and pray with me? Lord, I do feel like I have rambled on this morning, and yet, God, I believe that this is a divine rambling that you stirred within my heart because you have an eternal purpose that you want to accomplish in us. Lord, where we have wallowed in self-pity and not look to you and learn to depend on you, and we've missed out on these valuable lessons that you wanted to teach us, forgive us. And when the hard times come, give us grace to look to you and say, Oh, living God, creator of the universe who calls me by name, work your work of grace in me and teach me what you want to teach me.
because I know you are faithful and you are working all things for my good and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.